Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Tuesday, February 9. I'm Tom Tilley, joined by Annika Smethurst. And Annika, today the bizarre disappearance of Melissa Caddick. Yeah, the Sydney financial advisor who was raided by police has now been missing for 12 weeks. People keep giving me tip-offs. They've seen her at Penrith Shopping Centre. She's in a, um, a cabin cruiser on the Hawkesbury. She's in Paddington. Yes, a lot of people seem to think that she's in the basement of her own home. So where is Melissa Caddick? That is our briefing topic today. First, let's get into today's big news stories. China has warned Australia not to get involved in its case against an Australian journalist accused of spying. Australian Foreign Minister Maurice Payne confirmed yesterday that TV presenter Chung Lee has been formally arrested for allegedly sharing state secrets in China and she's already spent six months in jail. We have consistently raised our strong concerns about her detention uh, regularly at the most senior levels. Minister Payne also added that Australia expects a fair trial for Miss Lee. Her niece Louisa has told 7.30 she's innocent. I don't think she would have done anything to uh, harm national security in any way intentionally. We don't know if she's just being caught up into something. Yeah, that was an amazing interview with Denise. I saw that last night. Um, she pointed out that Chung Lee has two children who've been missing her for those six months she's been locked up. They're being looked after by Chung Lee's mother in Melbourne. So a pretty sad story. In a statement overnight, China's foreign minister asked Australia to respect China's sovereignty and stop interfering in the case in any way. And some of Australia's top epidemiologists fear our hotel quarantine system isn't strong enough to contain the mutant strains of COVID. And the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, says that if needed, the length of hotel quarantine will be extended. That is something that I know is under constant review. And uh, if they were to make recommendations along that line, then I'm sure that you would see uh, the states and the Commonwealth move uh, in that direction. That comes as we prepare to increase our cap on international arrivals by almost 2,000 people a week from mid-February. And mutant strains are also causing problems abroad too. South Africa has halted its rollout of the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine. Yeah, they did it because a small-scale study found it gave very little protection against the mild to moderate symptoms of the South African strain. However, our Health Minister Greg Hunt says it should still protect against serious symptoms. There is currently no evidence to indicate a reduction in the effectiveness of the AstraZeneca or Pfizer vaccines in preventing severe disease or death. The world, however, is reviewing data with regards to the impact on transmission of mild to moderate symptoms. After a shaky moment in the first set, Nick Kyrgios won his first round of the Australian Open last night. It was 6-4, so pretty close on the scoreboard. Annika, but he played some very convincing tennis. Absolutely. And in classic Kyrgios form, his performance also included this outburst at the player's box. Unbelievable shot. Oh, your girlfriend to get out of my box. <laughs> so hectic. Um, so was his serve, serving over 200 k's an hour, just ace after ace. It was amazing. The other Aussie players, Bernard Tomic, Alex Bolton, James Duckworth, also made it through the first round, which is great news. Uh, and so did Novak Djokovic. Someone not so lucky was Frenchman Benoit Paire, who unloaded on Australian Open organisers after his first round loss. Yeah, he said the Tennis Australia organisers took players for idiots and that the hotel quarantine arrangements were inconsistent and the tournament was really crap. 
I did really notice the the look of disappointment on Gael Monfils' face, Annika, when he lost. And I kind of really feel for the players who are going out early in this tournament after going through hotel quarantine only to have to go back home. In the case of uh, Monfils, he was doing really well before COVID. And, and now in this emotional press conference, he said he's lost his confidence, hardly played all year, and then goes through hotel quarantine only to be sent home after losing in the first round to number 86 in the world. I don't know. I think the 100 grand you get for going out first round, which is about 15% higher than usual, might just make that sting a little less sour. I don't know, Tom. I think there's not a lot of sympathy for these tennis players. They're coming out here. Once they're out here, they can stay. They get to actually enjoy a bit of a COVID-free life, which is very different to what is happening in some of their other countries. Yeah, they get paid well for this tournament, but they've missed so many last year. So, you know, I think they have been pretty badly affected, some sports players, but... Their lives in general are pretty good. All right, in a moment, the disappearance of Melissa Caddick. This story is so right up there. It's wild. And it's one of those stories that people keep, you know, stopping me and saying, have you got any more? When's the next instalment? It's like something actually unfolding before your eyes and you don't know what the outcome is. Often when we do stories, it's because there has been something happened and then we go backwards. This is like the star player has vanished without a trace. That's Kate McClymont, one of Australia's leading investigative journalists. She writes for the Sydney Morning Herald. And as she says, this story of Melissa Caddick is happening in real time. Yeah, it's now been 12 weeks since this financial advisor just disappeared. So today on The Briefing, where is Melissa Caddick? We just don't know where Melissa is. We don't know what's happened and we really, really want to find her. She always took her phone. Um, In this case, it was the only time since I've known her that she did not have her phone with her. The day before Melissa Caddick allegedly disappeared, November 12, she was raided by the Australian Federal Police and ASIC, the financial crimes watchdog. They were investigating allegations she'd ripped off a group of investors who trusted her to manage more than $20 $20 million of their superannuation. How much has your family lost all up, the four siblings? I'd say in the region of three to five million. It's their future. It's what you work for 40 years to provide for yourself at the end. That was our hard-earned money that funded her lifestyle in a frivolous way. That I think the part for me is shows from her point of view a lack of respect for all the things that we had to do to earn that money. Those were two of Caddick's alleged victims speaking to 60 Minutes. So let's go back to our interview with Kate McClyman to find out what this financial advisor is alleged to have done and where she might be. The story is Melissa Caddick, who is a 49-year-old woman from Dover Heights in Sydney's eastern suburbs. She disappeared sometime after Wednesday, November the 11th, without a trace. And the reason why she left, or why we believe she disappeared, is that very day the Australian Federal Police arrived just after 6am and they were executing search warrants on behalf of ASIC, which is the corporate regulator. It now appears that um, Melissa Caddick has stolen somewhere between 20 and $40 million. So they were there all day. And what they were taking away from her house 
was basically the proceeds of her crime. She had spent the most inordinate amount of money on couture clothes, designer handbags, shoes. I mean, for instance, she spent $250,000 just at Christian Dior. So all these things were loaded in a truck and taken away. And the last people to leave were the federal police about 7 p.m. And outside the family, they are the last people to have seen Melissa Caddick. Kate, what strikes me as strange is, as someone who's had their house raided, I would have thought the police were watching me afterwards. <laughs> like, I didn't think I was going to do a runner because I assumed the cops were going to be watching me. So how did she sneak away? It just seems well, look, impossible. They left at seven and she was due to be in court on Friday morning. So we have to go back. So this is on Wednesday, her house is raided. On Tuesday, ASIC took the preemptive strike of freezing all her bank accounts. There were about 14 bank accounts and all her trading funds, everything. So she didn't know about that until they executed the search warrant. So she's stuck. She's got no assets. They've raided her property. So her son has told the police that he heard the door of their house close at 5.30 a.m. on the Thursday morning. But apart from that, there's no evidence as to whether she left straight after the police left, whether she left on Friday, because her husband, um, Anthony Coletti, her second husband, took more than 30 hours to let the police know that she was missing. So they weren't monitoring her, as Annika suggested, after uh, such a such a <laughs> well, important seems raid. Seems like a big no, mistake. No, I, I think I think uh, Annika's raid was a slightly different <laughs> case. Um, in this case, the federal police also took CCTV, not only the footage but the apparatus. So the home monitoring system was taken by the police to analyse. So, <laughs> so was that a mistake was in hindsight? That was a mistake. It was ridiculous. So there was, yeah, so there was nothing for that. Well, I mean, who would predict that she was about to do a runner? Mm. But the interesting thing is that since then, the New South Wales police, who have the task of finding missing people, they have been absolutely stumped because Dover Heights is quite a wealthy area. Mm. They have been up and down the streets looking at other people's CTV footage and there is nothing. Can you explain where this investigation's up to and and how that's working. ASIC is mounting a case against her and this is a case to do with, you know, basically, you know, multiple fraud offences and also for using somebody else's Australian securities licence without permission. So what she's been doing is she has been passing herself off as a financial advisor. And what she would do would she would meet people and say, um, oh, yes, look, I'm a financial advisor and, you know, modestly, I'm quite successful. And when people would say, and a lot of this was word of mouth, family and friends, she would always say to people, look, I'm sorry, I only do this for a small amount of people and I don't have any room at the moment. But miraculously, you know, a couple of weeks later, room would be found. And one of the most incredible stories in this was one woman met her skiing in Aspen. The woman staying across the corridor from her 
um, in a place called North of Nell, gets chatting. You know, she says, yes, I'm a financial advisor. She does the same thing. I've got no room. But when they get back to Sydney, she has room. This woman put in a million dollars. And of course, what she was doing was she was sending her clients fake returns. They were bodged up ComSec accounts saying, in the last month, I invested your funds in these. And there were only four or five shares. But as you can imagine, the shares always did brilliantly well. So people were wanting to put more money in. I mean, why wouldn't you? You've invested a small amount and you can see that your returns are, you know, 30%, sometimes 70%. And you're thinking, my God, this is a miracle. So this woman put in another 1.5. So by August, she had invested 2.5 million. Now, on August the 13th, she goes to the dentist. In the dentist waiting room, she gets chatting to another woman. And, you know, they say, oh, they're from the same suburb. Oh, that's amazing. What do you do? I'm a financial advisor. The skier says, oh, my God, you won't believe this. I have found the best financial advisor. She is. And the woman interrupts her and says, please tell me it's not Melissa Caddick. So the woman says, oh, my God. She says, look, can't talk now. We're in the dental surgery. Here's my card. You need to talk to me urgently. So that afternoon, you know, and she's still going, can you hear me? She rings rings the woman that comes around to her house and she said, I have just reported her to ASIC. She has been using my financial services licence without permission. That in itself can warrant a two-year jail term. So this woman rings up and just says, look, I found a house. I need to get my money out. And Melissa says to her, well, look, I can't give it all back to you. It might trigger, you know, a, a warning in the stock market, which Anyone who's a sophisticated investor knows, like, that just doesn't happen, not for that amount of money. Mm. So she eventually gets not only all her money back, but she gets the fake $300,000 interest because this is what happens in a Ponzi scheme. When people want their money out, you have to give it to them. Once this woman got her money out, she stopped responding to Melissa's text messages, emails. And Melissa was saying things like, now that you know how good I am, have you got any people that you can suggest? Mm. So this woman just did not respond. So it's questionable as to whether from mid-August anyway, Melissa thought something could be afoot. Mm. Now, everyone who knows her said she is controlling, she's organising, she's efficient. So I think the question police are asking themselves are, had she set up an escape mechanism? Had she taken cash monies out and deposited elsewhere? Because don't forget, her accounts are frozen. So this is what is, you know, making people scratch their head is, had she set this up in readiness in case this day ever came? Is there any evidence that she actually was legitimate at some point and and good at her job perhaps and it all went wrong? Or is this, you know, a lifetime of scamming that she has been planning? ASIC are looking at the potential uh, misdemeanours from 2009. So potentially she has been doing this for quite a long time. So, Kate, the big, simple, obvious question, where do you think she is? I don't know. I don't think that she has left the country. 
one of my contacts who's an organised crime figure said, you know, look, it's easy for people like me to get a false passport. I've got underworld connections. But for people like her who's alleged criminal uh, deeds seem to be in relation to fraud. There's no suggestion that she's a criminal mastermind with links to the underworld. Anyway, this person said, and it's even harder now with COVID, you have to get special exemption to leave the country. So he was saying, look, the easiest way out at the moment is through Papua New Guinea. He said, but, you know, really, you might as well be in jail than be in Papua New Guinea. So I think that she's possibly in New South Wales. So there have been some tip-offs to Crime Stoppers, alleged sightings. Have you followed up on any of those? Have there been any credible sightings since November 12? Apparently not. People keep giving me tip-offs. They've seen her at Penrith Shopping Centre. She's in a, um, a cabin cruiser on the Hawkesbury. She's in Paddington. Yes, a, a lot of people seem to think that she's in the basement of her own home. And I think it's fairly frustrating for the police because, you know, all, all these could potentially be possible, but it's, uh, you know, just it's just led nowhere. And you can't help but think... You know, this cannot go on forever. And also, she has a teenage son who, from all accounts, is just the joy of her life. So to leave him wondering where his mother is, that would be a very hard thing to do as well. So it's been 12 weeks now. Do you think as time ticks by, it gets harder or easier for her to stay on the run? Is there there less chance of finding her now that all the best evidence has probably been followed up on already? I know, but you can only survive for so long without means of support. So unless you've channeled millions and you are going to be living very frugally, I just think that these things will come to a natural end at some time. And, you know, of course, there is the suggestion that she might have taken her own life. Dover Heights is a short walk to the famous cliffs of the eastern suburbs of Sydney. The gap is, you know, a kilometre or so from her home. But there are 38 cameras along that cliffside walk and there are a lot of motion detectors which go back to Rose Bay Police and none of those seem to have been triggered. So there is always that um, potential, but that seems to be unlikely. And Kate, finally, is there any chance you think her victims will ever see their money again? Look, I think the police said that there was $4 million in some of the accounts. Now, she bought a house in Dover Heights for $6.2 million. That seems to have a $4 million mortgage. And she also bought a $2.5 million apartment for her parents. It seems that her parents and her brother and other family members are also victims. And down the track, her parents could conceivably lose their uh, apartment. So it's just going to be difficult to work out which funds, you know, uh, you know, were they all proceeds of crime? If they get sold, how much might go to her family? How much might go to victims? I think at the best, they'd possibly be looking at 10 cents in the dollar, but I think probably less than that, if anything at all. That was Kate McClyman, Gold Walkley winning journalist from the Sydney Morning Herald. And Annika, I really noticed you picked up on the fact that they didn't really monitor Caddick properly after she was raided. 
Look, she wouldn't be the first millionaire to disappear. And I just think it's quite a strange thing that you would raid someone's house and have a fair bit of evidence on her to do that, to be able to launch that raid and then just leave her to her own devices and even remove the security footage from her own house. Well, yeah, they didn't even leave her to her own devices. They disabled her own devices. I'm no police officer, as I've mentioned, but I just would have thought 101 would have maybe to just keep someone outside her house just in case she did a runner. But look, we don't know what went wrong and it just stood out to me as a real sort of issue in, in this case. Yes, we'll keep watching this case very closely as it unfolds and if there's any major news about any sightings or otherwise of Melissa Caddick, we'll let you know. And tomorrow on The Briefing, the developing crisis in Myanmar. Last week, the military took control of the small Asian nation and the military also locked up their leader and former Nobel Peace Prize winner, Aung San Suu Kyi. We'll explain what's going on there tomorrow on The Briefing. A podcast one production.